Thank you for checking out the Faith City Church Podcast. We believe that you'll be blessed by today's message. How many here have been enjoying what they are fed here? How many enjoy the freedom they have? Not to sin, but to say no to sin because now we know who we are. Isn't that awesome? And so it's an exciting thing. So I just wanted to say that. And I also want to say this, that, you know, when we run services like this after quarantine, and I I believe it's important to take time for this, uh, we're really short-staffed on a Sunday. So we have people that like, I mean, Keith and Denny and Devin, and I'm probably going to miss people. And I mean, just a list of people that every Sunday, they're like, what do you need me to do? And they just, they step in and do it right? If I didn't say your name, it's, it's just because I'm not remembering right now, but there's so many people. Uh, this week, your live stream comes to you uh, because of Pastor Andy and Jonathan Siglo, because our normal guy won't be here for a few weeks. And so we're making sure that it goes through for you so you can see it. So there's a lot that just runs on behind the scenes to make this happen. So I just wanted to say thank you to everyone. You know who you are, everyone involved. And maybe next week I'll come with a list of everyone and I'll say your name personally, because I don't want anyone offended, but I, I really want to, you know, give props and give a shout out to people because Jason and I, we were talking in the back. Jason runs a sound and Heidi's like every single week on that computer. Normally we had three people who would interchange. She's every week. She had a couple times she's had to not be here, which how many know it's okay to have a Sunday off? And Rick stepped in and Katie stepped up and all these people. Help me with that list that week, this week. But my point is, even this morning I was laughing to Jay because, you know, we had a tripod that wasn't here that had to be picked up. We had all these different things to make it happen. And I just laughed and I said, nobody has a clue. Because we just come in or we pop online, we have our, you know, our, our coffee and our toast and we're like, wow, God is good. But there's so much that goes on behind the scenes to make this happen. So I just think it's appropriate to spend time and say that. And next week we're going to have a list of all those who are involved because it's awesome. We couldn't do it without you. Can I get an amen? Amen. So this morning, I want to, first of all, welcome you to Faith City Church. If it's your first time here, it's your first time online, we are Faith City Church. Uh, We're a community of believers who, we love to celebrate God's love. We love to celebrate his grace. We love to celebrate his goodness, you know? And that's really what we what we focus on because we believe when we focus on God's goodness and who he is, we get the proper picture of who we are. And then we know how to actually walk out life. Isn't it awesome? One more thing I just have to add. Can we say thank you, Mandy, for cleaning the building for the last two weeks? (laughs) There we go. There you go. I just thought of that when I saw front row ready to go, but hey, you Your bathroom doesn't smell because Mandy showed up because we had to have someone fill in. So it's just awesome. Again, we'll get that list together. So let's turn to Acts chapter 20. Let's get started this morning. Acts chapter 20. You can follow along if you want on the screens here. You also can follow along on your YouVersion Bible app. Uh, When you open it up, you might actually see two YouVersion Bible apps there. It was funny last last week... uh, uh, Siglo told me, he's like, hey man, I didn't see the notes up. I'm like, you serious? So when I went back and checked, John, thanks man. When I went back and checked, it ended up being I put the wrong date. So it started yesterday. So like almost a week after. So you might see two up there if you go, but, but you'll, you'll figure out which one uh, to, to click for today. But you can follow along there. So Acts chapter 20. And, and first, I just want to talk about a little bit of background here. Because this right here is the Apostle Paul's third missionary journey. How many know that Paul was a missionary? It's kind of neat when you look into the lives of of these different disciples and followers of Christ and early church fathers to kind of see, you know, their life and and that they were real people, not just figments of our imagination or these fictional characters, but real people. Paul himself actually had a skill of being a tent maker. So he'd go town to town, he would make tents, that was his job, but then he also would, would receive this download of revelation from Holy Spirit. He'd be among friends. They'd talk this out. They would spend sometimes months writing letters to churches as they were learning new ways because they were all Jews, came out of the Jewish tradition. They were trying to figure out what do we keep? What do we move on from? And so it's just really beautiful to see this. So Paul was a missionary. Well, this was his third missionary journey. 
And in this journey, he visited, uh, I think it was 31 towns and cities throughout Asia and Europe. And if you really want to get technical with it, it was over 2,500 miles by sea and land that he traveled during this journey. And a lot of scholars believe he's about 50 years old. So you think about this, he's had several years, at least a couple decades, really serving Jesus, learning from Holy Spirit, going on these missionary journeys. He's about 50 years old, and so he's addressing the church elders in Ephesus. Now, this would really be the last time that he would see them, because about a year later, he returns to Jerusalem. After that, he goes to Rome, where he's actually imprisoned twice, and then he's finally martyred under the rule of the Caesar Nero when he was about 65 years old. So just a little, little history there for Paul. And, and the reason I tell you this is because I'd like us to have context to why is Paul writing what he's writing at this particular time? Who is Paul writing to at this particular time? Because when we do, it kind of reshapes how we see and even how we hear things. Does that make sense? But in Acts 20, verse 32, he says, And now I commend you to the care of God, and to the message of his grace. Look at this. Which is able to what? Build you up and give you the blessings God has for all his people. It's from this perspective, the words here of the Apostle Paul, that I want to continue in our series called Doctrine Matters. Now, last week I kind of had like an idea of a one-off, and we talked about taking up your cross, Doctrine Matters, taking up your cross and what that meant. And I just kind of felt like, you know what, I think maybe this is just going to become a series. And so we'll just talk about some different things that maybe you've grown through and from and you're at a different place now. Or maybe you haven't heard some of these things. And so it's a good way for you to to really receive freedom when it comes to our doctrine or theology. Now, here's a question. Do you remember those 3D pictures in the 90s? They were called magic eye puzzles. Anyone? Anyone? Usually it was in the Sunday funny uh, comic book, comic section, and, and it would have like this picture, and it was actually called Magic Eye Puzzles, and I think eventually they had some books and things that came out, but the technical term for these, these puzzles was auto-stereograms. Say that with me, auto-stereograms. Now the thing about these puzzles is that you had some who could see the image behind those dots, and you had some who couldn't see the image behind those dots. By a show of hands, anyone who couldn't, I'm going to raise both hands because I could never see those things. I'd be sitting there looking at them like, okay, and I'm like, you know, about cross-eyed five minutes in trying to figure this thing out because I really wanted to see what it is. I didn't want to look at the answer underneath. Right, Michelle, you with me? And I wanted to know what it was. And the friend next to me is like, oh yeah, it's a guy and he's fishing. He's in a boat. I'm like, hey, hey, why are you ruining this for me? And then I'd be like, how do you see a guy fishing in a boat? Because I couldn't see it. And how we get so frustrated. Now, these dot-filled pictures produce a 3D image when the viewer arranges their eyes a certain way while looking at this 2D pattern, because it's just two-dimensional, right? And although, of course, these magic eye puzzles, they were all the rage about 25 years ago, you know that stereograms were first used in the study of human depth perception. Specifically, it was trying to figure out how our eyes see different images and how our brains create a single cohesive one. So it started out as a scientific thing, and someone took it as these pictures. And really, they've been using this for years to try to figure out depth perception, perception, I should say, in the human eye. Now, when you're looking at these images, there's this way of looking through. They, They actually refer to it as a process called diverging, which means instead of looking directly at the image, you move your eyes as if you were looking through it. So you see this image, it's, it's just on the surface in 2D, but behind that image there's something else. Kind of a deep discussion, I know. You're like, can you move on? <laughs> but, but I think that this relates a lot to our ability to perceive and understand doctrine. See, we have this picture that's been painted for us as we've grown up, as we've gone to you know, different churches or however it is, you've heard different people and they've, they've painted a picture for you. How many know we're all painting pictures? Maybe not there physically, but mentally, we're painting a picture of who God is, a painting a picture of theology, painting a picture of life, painting a picture of, of political beliefs, uh, painting a picture of what we believe about race, right? We, we all have these, these pictures that we're painting. I mean, think about this. Why do you think that there are so many different interpretations of the Bible? 
So many different ways to see who God is and what he's like. Because all of the different lenses that we have, the distortions and the preconceived ideas we have, that's what causes us to see what we see. So for me, I think about this idea of as I moved on in theology and doctrine, sometimes I had that same frustration as I did with the magic eye puzzles. I would see this picture that was painted for me, but I knew deep in my heart there had to be more. There was more below the surface. There was more behind that picture. And so sometimes out of frustration, I'd say, God, Holy Spirit, help me see these things. And it was right in those times and in those seasons that, that God brought up a, a podcast or a book or a show or a person into my life that helped lead me into a different way of seeing things. Does that make sense? And so it's a good place to be, but sometimes it's a scary place to be. Sometimes it's a frustrating place to be, but I think that our doctrine should be shifting and moving in the right direction all the time. If we're stuck in the same, and I'm not talking about the basic tenets of faith, but I'm talking about theology, things that we could say, even if we believe differently, we still believe in Jesus as the center of it all. Does that make sense? Because sure, some people go way off the rails. I get it. I commend them for searching, but sometimes they search and they forget Holy Spirit on the journey and maybe they go way off the rails. I get that. And there's times where I've had to step out and then rein it back in a little bit and then move a little forward. How many know this is a step of faith, this whole journey? And it's so easy to stay in a box and say, I'm just going to believe exactly what this denomination says, whether I believe it or not. I'm just going to believe it. I'm, gonna, I'm just going gonna, gonna to pretend to believe it if I have to. And I want everyone to like me, so I'll just say, yeah, amen, whether I believe it or not. But to me, that's not a good place to be. I think it's okay to ask questions. But this is a journey. And so without true understanding things would be out of focus and unperceived and we would lose focus on the true picture behind it all. Now, let me say this. We don't all know all truth. I believe that truth resides within us. That's Jesus Christ. But I do believe that he'll, he'll show us bits and pieces, right? All of us see, have seen through a glass darkly. There, there's this, this way that we see things that sometimes I believe Holy Spirit's like, well, you're not ready for that yet. You know, my kids, I mean, when, when my first child began to walk, I didn't go, that's awesome, and walk out to the kitchen and grab the car keys. They weren't ready for the car yet. They just learned to walk. Is this making sense? And so I believe God's the same way, that, you know, just because we maybe, you know, cross a hurdle or a certain line, maybe we're not ready for those three or four lines up. And I say that because I don't believe that Holy Spirit's in a hurry to get you somewhere other than to know who you are in Christ. To know that you're a son and you're a daughter. That's the most important thing, the most important takeaway that we can get from any theology or doctrine. But here's the thing. Some of us, with the indoctrination we've had, we can't see things cl clearly or with clarity. And so the lens that we view God through, the gospel through, really matters, doesn't it? I mean, it really does matter. It can be convoluted or it can bring clarity. So today I want to ask this question. Think about this. Does God want to break us down or build us up? Think about that. Does God want to break us down or does he want to build us up? Because, you know, there's a lot of different doctrine out there on this idea. There's a lot of different ways to look at this. I have changed the way that I've looked at this several times through the journey and you know, slowly made little adjustments to it until I've come to the place where I am today. And I'm sure I'll continue to grow on this journey. And if you want a title for today, it's this, Doctrine Matters, to break or not to break? That is the question. I got one laugh from Pete there. <laughs> to break or or not to break? That is the question. So let's start with this idea of breaking down. Does God really want to try to break us? Is he tearing us down until we finally, you know, fall to pieces or we get to this place where he can finally, you're broken enough, then I can use you. Now think about this. 
How many messages have you heard, and, and me included, probably from me years ago, how many songs have we sung that have some type of verbiage in it like, take me, break me, make me? Pete's laughing again. I don't know why. I'm not trying to be funny. I mean, this is serious because maybe there's some of us here today, and there's some of you watching online. I learned a long time ago that, and it's not always easy when you get to a place, because there's this line, when you get to a place where you believe you've discovered truth, and you see others who maybe aren't walking in it, the first thing we want to do is we want to snatch them up and we want to drag them over to where we think they should be, right? And so in that, sometimes things can come off like we're making fun or we're being condescending. That is not my heart ever. I mean, think about this. Have you ever heard this, this idea, take me, break me, make me? I know I've preached this in the past. I know I've sung songs and I really meant with my heart and I've been on my knees and I've been weeping and tears. I'm like, God, I've got so many issues. Just break me, make me, mold me, make me who you want me to be. And I think those are great intentions. Absolutely. And although I understand where someone is coming from and what they mean when they say these words, is it really the right way to see it? Or is it even the right way to say it? Because semantics do matter, don't they? Because again, it's the lens through which we see life. Now, for some, this idea of God needing to break us or needing to break me, it comes from seeing the problem in life with all your issues as self, right? It's myself. I keep getting myself in the way. Have you ever thought this? Hey, have you ever, man, I've preached messages. I'm like, you know what? You need to get out of the way and let God do what he needs to do. Amen, right? Sounds great. But what is it saying? Because I thought that Jesus said that we were united with him, that we were one with him. So in essence, if you're saying you need to get out of the way, well, then God's not gonna go because he's with me, Right? I want us to, to follow track here this morning. For some, again, this idea is God needs to break me because I have an issue with myself. But here's the thing. Doesn't God already declare you as new? How many new creations have we got in here? Raise your hand online in the comments. How many new creations? But do we see ourselves as new creations? I mean, think about this. He created this brand new at the core, in Christ Jesus, as a new self, as a new person, and we're running around saying self is the problem. I'm getting you to think a little bit this morning. Look at this. The Apostle Paul says this in Romans 6 and verse 5. He says, For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, listen to this, certainly... I'm going to say it again. Certainly we shall also be in the likeness of his what? Resurrection. Resurrection. How many here die with Christ? Guess what? That means that you're also in his likeness as a new person in resurrection. How many know Jesus had a brand new body? Representing this brand new life, this, this brand new creation that I like to say like this, that's been bursting forth for over 2,000 years called the kingdom of God. It's within you. And so it's awakening to this process. Well, pastor, I mean, if that's the case, then, then why am I not seeing this newness in my thoughts, in my words, in my actions? Fair enough, fair enough. I've been there. But maybe the problem isn't self. Maybe the problem is flesh. Now, you're thinking, well, what's the difference? Big difference. Self is who you are. Flesh is a way we can walk according to. Have you heard this in the scriptures? Do not walk according to the flesh, along the line of the flesh, that once does it say you are your flesh. It says don't walk according to your flesh. See, you can, you can be one person and act like another. Can I get an amen? <laughs> there you go. <laughs> My nieces are listening. Again, you, you can be 
this person, but act like another person. That's walking according to the flesh. Let me say this. Our Father, He wants our dependency on fleshly thoughts and actions and words to be broken for sure. Because guess what? When my, when my, my confidence and my dependency on the flesh is broken, I don't go back there again. I learn from those bad fleshly choices, and then what do I do? I move on. So in that sense, it's fair to say that our Heavenly Father wants the best for us, right? And because of that, he wants my confidence in the flesh to be broken in order to look away from those fleshly things and fix my eyes on Jesus. See, that's what discipline does. So I'm totally like, that's totally fair. That's how it works. But guess what? He's not breaking you. Is this making sense? And we're like, yeah, it's just semantics. Exactly. And semantics matter. Because if you think there's a problem with you, then you're going to come at it from the wrong direction and think that you need to fix you. No, you need to discover who you are And then you'll say no to those fleshly desires. Does that make sense? And the reason I say that God's not breaking you is because guess what? He's not a child abuser who's breaking us down and tearing down his children. Now listen, how many parents here? Raise your hand online in the comments. I want to see it later. I'm going to like it. But as parents... Let me ask you this question. You don't have to raise your hand, but just think about this. Have you ever disciplined your kids wrongly? In anger? Said the wrong thing? The cool thing is, Heavenly Father is a perfect father. He's not like that. But even in those moments, for most of us, we have this, this time where we say, Hey, sissy. Hey, brother. I'm sorry. Daddy or mommy should not have done it like this. Hopefully, hopefully you're learning to apologize and, and to make amends with your children, keep their hearts. But for most of us, who I believe are good parents with good intentions, we're never trying to make them be someone they're not. They're still a Baransic or a Smith or a Heist, right? I mean, there's still those people, but there's certain desires we're trying to curb and change. We're trying to get them to, to look a different direction and go, okay, you know what? That's not good for my life, so I need to go in a different direction now. I want this to make sense this morning. And Jesus even said this. <laughs> and it's funny how the terminology works. Again, he wasn't saying that we were evil. But he says, even earthly fathers who are evil would not do things to their kids, like give them a stone instead of bread, right? A scorpion instead of a fish. His whole point was, God is that much better than us. So why would God, if even our heart is not to abuse our children, but through discipline to train them out of things, why would God be an abuser? I just, I can't see it in the scriptures. Because one is mentoring. It's disciplining toward a new way of thinking and acting But see, the other, it's crushing your very spirit. And guess what? That's not the gospel. If you are in Christ, listen to me. If you are in Christ, guess what? God, your heavenly father, is building you up. That's his mission, is to build you up, to to bring you to the best version of who he made you to be. But that only happens when we discover who we truly are. And it's his story about us that's truth. Not someone else's and not even our own. I want us to see this. So, is God breaking us or is he building us up in him? I'd like to add this, that God isn't trying to push us down to be exalted separately from us. I used to kind of feel this way that I want to be careful not to take on, you know, too much glory. Right? Although Jesus said, the glory that the Father has given me, I now give to you. And the word glory is doxa in the Greek, and a proper understanding is that it's a good opinion of. (laughs) Isn't that awesome? So the good opinion that God gave Jesus, Jesus said, oh, yeah, yeah, here's my bros and my sisters right here. Good opinion. That's so cool. But see, the gospel is not God apart from us. It's us united with him. The apostle Paul says, I believe it's in Corinthians, he says, 
Whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. So what I want us to do today is I want us to see this unity. I want us to see this this closeness that we have with the Godhead. Because you're like, I mean, even in the creation story, you have Father, Son, Holy Spirit, you have this trinity. And you know where we were created, where we were birthed right in the middle of that relationship. And it never changed except starting with Adam and Eve, their minds. It's a mindset. That's why Romans 12, 2, the Apostle Paul says that we're transformed, literally transfigured. We look differently than we ever did before by renewing our mind. It's a renovation. It's a process, right? So united is a really important word and concept here, and we definitely can't take it lightly. If we do, we end up saying things like this, all of him and none of me. Well, where'd you go then? Listen, I'm not trying to make fun of anyone at all, but I want us to make sense of things. Sometimes we just say things, and I'm just as guilty of saying things. They're just religious, it's just religious jargon that we just regurgitate because we've heard it for years. But all of him and none of me has nothing to do with the gospel because you are united with him. You are accepted and loved and holy and pleasing But until you see that, you will still walk according to the fleshly desires. You'll make wrong decisions. But I want us to see this morning that we are fused together. We are united with him. I was thinking about this idea of, imagine I I bought a, a beautiful dress for my wife. And she was going to this party. I bought it specifically for this party. And as she's going, now, that dress is really, it's kind of, I'm united with that because I bought it for her. So together, this is something she's going to wear. But can you imagine if she goes to this party and before walking, I'm like, hey, hey, I want to get something straight before you walk into this party. She's like, what, babe? You like that dress? Oh, yeah, it's beautiful. You really like that dress? Oh, yeah, it's, it's just, it's perfect. It, it makes me look perfect. I absolutely love it. Do you know who got you that dress? Well, you did. All right. So when you get a compliment tonight, every time you go, no, 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 no. It's not me. It's all of my husband. He's the one that gave this to me. But see, what we do, we even do that with gifts and talents and stuff. Like, for instance, God might give you a talent as an artist. And so you develop that talent. You make it beautiful. And then when people compliment, compliment you on it, do you know that the father is just like, he, he's just like so stirred up when you're complimented on those things? And he's not going, hey, make sure you tell him who gave that to you. When I see my kids do something on, on a football field, or I remember even when you know, my dad would come and watch me when I would play live in some of my first bands, and you know, the crowd would be going wild, it was great. He never once came up and said, hey, why didn't you mention who gave you that talent? Because after all, you were birthed through me. He said, son, I'm so proud of you. You've taken what you've been given and you, you've honed in those skills. You've developed, you, you brought it to this point where you're blessing people with your talents. That is so awesome. Why would God be any different? He gives us these things, these talents, these giftings, so we can develop them, but they're not for ourselves. Now, sure, are there people who like put it all on themselves and it's like, it's all me and not a God. Okay, there's a big difference. I get that. But I want us to just understand that there's this fine line sometimes that we can cross where it's all of him and none of me. And he's like, what do you mean none of me? I'm there with you the whole time. We're in this together. We're united together. Because if you have this mentality, what does that say about you? Well, it says that you're pitiful and you're not worthy and you're not even part of the equation. But the truth is you are. We are united with Christ. It's a union that cannot be broken. And guess what? This union isn't by accident. God does it. He causes it. He initiates the whole relationship. And guess what? He desires it. This was his ultimate desire when God became flesh and walked this earth to say, I've always desired relationship with you. It's never changed since the very beginning. Will you awaken to the truth of who and whose you are? See, isn't the gospel beautiful when it's told plainly in those types of words? See, Christianity 
It's not about the tearing down of a person, but it's about the building up in and through Christ of that person. Now I want to read just a few scriptures that relate to this. We're not going to put them on the screens because I don't want to take a, a lot of time with it. But look at this in Acts 20 and verse 2. Traveling through the country, passing from one gathering to another, he gave constant encouragement, lifting their spirits and charging them with fresh hope. Look at this in Romans 14.9. So then we pursue the things which make for peace and the building up of one another. Ephesians 4.29, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, so that it will give grace to those who hear. And what's funny is a lot of times we'll read these scriptures and we see the first part, let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. And we stop there and we have a whole sermon on how unholy and wholesome your mouth is. I mean, even to these churches that he was writing to, especially the Corinthians, they, they had a lot of issues, right? I heard one preacher say it was like Vegas on steroids. These guys were doing some crazy stuff that he said, even the heathens or pagans don't do. Yet he still called them saints. Why? He wanted them to know who they truly were. In fact, look at this in 2 Corinthians. Same letter to those crazy Christians. He says, all this time, you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you. Actually, it is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ. Now, catch this next part. And all, say all, for your upbuilding, beloved. Everything that Paul was saying was to build them up, for them to begin to grasp, embrace, and truly see who they really were. That was the goal of the apostles. Awake. Awaken to your righteousness. Awaken to this relationship. It's already been initiated. It's already there. You have to awaken to it. How many know this? It takes faith and belief to actually walk into something, whether it's true or not. It can truly be there, but if you don't see it or believe it, you will never walk in it. That's where faith comes in. That's that equation, which, by the way, faith is even a gift. Thank you, Jesus. But it's stirring up that faith and then seeing by the eyes of the Spirit the truth of who you really are. And once you do you begin to walk differently and talk differently and be differently. You be who you be. Isn't that awesome? So do you see it? The gospel, it's all about your being built up in him. And let me say this. If there's, if there's any breaking going on at any point in time, I believe that that is the moment that we believe onto salvation. At the moment that we awaken to what Christ has done and we have true faith that we have been crucified with him and raised up again, brand new in Christ. The breaking is right here. Thought processes that don't line up with the truth of who God says you are. This is something that has to happen. But the brokenness is not you because you're discovering the real you, who you are. God doesn't need to break you down because he's already made you new. Is this making sense? But certainly, most certainly, we have things in our soul, you know, our mind, will, and emotions that need to be tweaked and moved, and some just completely obliterated. I agree with that. But remember, it's not you. It's walking according to the flesh. It's false ideas and lies that we believe, and then we walk in that lie rather than walking in the truth of who we are. So it all comes down to, again, Romans 12, 2. It's a mind-renewing change. It's from that in Adam thinking to an in Christ reality, the mind of Christ. It's from death to life. It's from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. There's these transition. By the way, this is all in the scriptures. How many have heard these terms before? And I like to even see that this idea you're coming out of the kingdom of darkness. No, no. We think that we're like, we got to get out of the kingdom of darkness, but, but darkness really is ignorance. It's not seeing clearly. It's that picture that's been painted and you can't see the truth behind it. And you move from that to the kingdom of what? Light, revelation, understanding. So it's not this big demonic fight that's happening. It's in your mind where he's saying, will you awaken to these truths? Plural, because there's a lot of facets of your life where you're believing the wrong things. 
And so that's what this journey is about. And it's one facet at a time. That's what's beautiful about it. Listen, you don't have to run before you walk. You get to walk first. Isn't that cool? So this is what I love about the gospel. But again, I want to look back here at the Apostle Paul in this letter to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 13. Now think about this. Paul has already visited there twice and he was coming back a third time. And this is why he's writing this letter. Look what he says in verse, let's go with verse 10. He says, that is why I write this while I am away from you. So he just wrote all these things to this crazy group of people that were getting a lot of things wrong, still calling them saints, showing them who they truly were. But he gets towards the end of the letter and he's like, listen guys, this is how it should look when you're following Jesus. This is how it should look when you're truly living out of identity, your true identity. And so he says, listen, this is why I write this while I'm away from you. It is so that, I want you to catch this. This verse really blew my mind this morning. It is so that when I arrive, I will not have to deal harshly with you in using the authority the Lord has given me. Now stop right there. Look up here, look up here, look up here. That's, that's one of my dad's lines. Now stop there for just a second. Don't, don't read any further. Take it off the screens. This is why. Because if we stop there and we read this, we see that, that Paul's dealing with a group of people who have had some serious issues. They're not walking out the love of God. They're not looking anything like Jesus. I mean, you know, we should look like Jesus at some point in time in our life, I would think, in some facets of our life, if we're truly growing in the journey. And he says, now I'm writing this to you. I've already been there twice. I've already talked to you about these things. I'm writing this before I come the third time because I don't want to have to arrive and then deal harshly with you in using the authority the Lord has given me. Now, here's the thing about this that's really sad. In the modern church, many times, we've taken verses like this and stopped when they have continued, and we've taken the authority that God has given us to break people down, to control people, to manipulate people, sometimes with good intentions because we see the potential in them and we want them not to be here but to be there, but instead of allowing Holy Spirit to work through that, we're trying to force it to happen. Pastors, teachers, you know, leadership, a lot of times with good intentions. And so we read a verse, we're like, listen, man, I'm gonna, I need to deal harshly with you because you're in some stuff you shouldn't be in right now. And God has given me the authority to do this and to tell you in your life. But see, we stop and then we don't continue to read. Again, this is what got me today. He says, when I arrive, I will not have to deal harshly with you. Sometimes we do need to deal harshly. Sometimes it's a matter of, dude, you're going to lose your marriage. Sister, you're going to lose your job. Sir, you're going to die an early death. Right? But I want us to see something here. The deal harshly with you in using the authority that who gave to him? The Lord. But look at this. This is big. Savor this. Authority to build you up, not tear you down. I got like three Holy Ghost goosebumps at that. Do you see the difference? I just love the heart of Paul. He, he's saying, there's definitely some things that are out of order that aren't in line. And this letter is spelling them out. There's some things that need to be done in this church because it's not representing the love of Christ. I mean, even the communion meal has become this, this area now of dissension, of bickering and quarreling and hating one another, rich against poor, slave against free. This is not the church of Jesus Christ. This doesn't represent the body of Christ. But even when he's going to deal harshly, if he needs to, with this authority, it's authority to build up, not tear down. And so many times we have used our authority in churches, the, local, the church universally, to tear people down, to put down people groups, to make groups feel less than them. I don't ever see that in the life of Jesus. I've said it before, the only time I've seen Jesus deal harshly and it seemed like, whoa, that was, was with the religious groups and people in the temple system because they were dealing with people and misusing their authority and tearing people down and casting people out. 
But Jesus welcomed those outcasts with open arms, sat down and had meals with them. And we don't have to be a fly in the wall, right? In those conversations, what did Jesus say? We know this, that the kindness of the Lord draws us to change our mind. It draws us to repentance. We've seen, we've seen person after person after person repent to Jesus, meaning to change their mind, which in turn shifts their whole way of doing life, and they go a different direction because of the love and acceptance that Jesus showed them. See, acceptance, if we, if we get the order right, acceptance always precedes change. But unfortunately, sometimes we're looking for change in order to accept. I've, I've done this with my own children at times. That's embarrassing to even say out loud. But treated them in a certain way or just a little bit of coldness there because they hadn't quite lined up with what I wanted them to do or say or be like yet. Forgive me. That's not Jesus. That's not the gospel. That's not what the church should represent. I love this in the message translation, 2 Corinthians 10, verse 7 through 8. He says, you stare and stare at the obvious, but you can't see the forest for the trees. If you're looking for a clear example of someone on Christ's side, why do you so quickly cut me out? Believe me, I am quite sure of my standing with Christ. Now, this is the Apostle Paul again speaking. But look what he says. You may think I overstate my authority or the authority he gave me, but I'm not backing off. Now catch this. This is powerful, man. Every bit of my commitment is for the purpose of building you up after all, not tearing you down. This is why I think it's important to understand it's really tough to speak into someone's life if you don't have a relationship with them. If someone I don't know just walks up to me and says, hey, I gotta, I gotta tell you what you need to start doing in your life, I'd be like, I'm sorry, who are you and where'd you come from? Right, I mean, it's a human nature thing. But when I have a brother or sister whom I have a relationship with, I know their heart is for, for my best interest. I know they love me See, then they can come to me and they can say things that seem harsh. But see, they use that authority that I've given them in my life because of my trust in relationship. They use that authority to build me up, not tear me down. Nobody likes to be torn down. Nobody likes to be shamed and told that they don't measure up and they're not good enough. I've never seen in the life of Jesus him tell people that they're not good enough and they don't measure up. In fact, he does the very opposite. You want healing? Well, you need to receive that healing. So here's what I'm going to tell you. You're forgiven. Clean slate. As far as you and I are concerned, we're right here. Wow, Jesus, I'm okay? Yeah, I'm okay with you. You're okay with me. Now receive your healing. This is just the way that Jesus did things. And there's a reason why there's something in the human psyche when we don't feel good enough. We feel like we're trying to impress or be better or do more, or be more. It's like we can never rest in the fact that we're already there. He's already placed us there. It's his doing. It's his will. Are you receiving this this morning? So again, he says this because he's just wanting to state the truth of who they are. They're brand new, 100% compatible with God. I mean, this is awesome. Sure, there's renewing of the mind, there's growth, there's trial and tribulation, there's stuff, there's issues, right? But we are new at the core. This is what the gospel is declaring. We don't need to get our righteousness or our okayness and identity from what or how we are doing. Listen, he calls you okay and then he bears fruit through you. Why? Because you are good enough, you are pleasing, you are acceptable. Man, when we see this, your whole life will radically change. Addictions and just issues and responses, they just, it's, I hate using this word in church. It's like magic. It's like, what, what just happened? Like, I used to be this person two months ago, and now I'm not anymore. Oh, it's because I'm discovering who I truly am. 
And God knows that as human beings, we are not changed at the heart, at the core, by being told a list of things that we aren't. It's by being told who we are that changes our heart. So think about that. The new creation does not need to be broken, torn down, or killed off. But how about this? The world's system, those fleshly desires, those fleshly ideas, that system is broken. Can I get an amen? And that's why we come to God, to become whole and unbroken, and it starts right here in our thinking. Have you noticed, have you looked back, maybe not the best example, but maybe even during this political year, you would say that you're in a different place than you were four years ago. Now, I'm not saying for a candidate or anything, but just even the way that you see things. I know for me, you know, I used to be at this place, and I don't even know when it was, to be honest, kind of four years, eight years ago, where, man, I just, I had this side, and I was on this side, and I wasn't moving from this side, and I was clinching and embracing this side, and I couldn't hear anything. Anything on the other side was evil and wrong, and it had, the devil was inspiring it. But someone else who was a believer was on the other side saying the exact same things. I love being right in the middle where I can see both sides, even with spiritual eyes, and go, huh, everyone's got issues. No one's perfect, but no one's the devil either. It's such freedom. And no matter who wins next week, I'm not going to lose my joy. It's awesome. Move on, pastor. But there's freedom in that. I'm not caught up in it anymore. Are there things that both parties do right? Yeah. Are there things that both parties do wrong? Yeah. Yeah, it's political systems of the world. (laughs) Imagine that. Jesus isn't running that system. He says, I come from a different system, the kingdom. So don't be let down if the vote goes the wrong way according to you. Guess what? God's still on the throne. The kingdom's still expanding, and you can be part of that. And guess what? Guess what's included in that kingdom? Peace and joy. Hallelujah. So don't, don't take your life on Wednesday morning, please. It's not worth it. <laughs> My son's like, come on, dad. <sighs> I'm telling you, man. But you still need more proof. Look at this. Another scripture here, Paul says to the Colossians. I love this. We're going to wrap up with this final scripture. He says, so then, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in him. Look at this, verse 7. Rooted and what? Built up in him. This is awesome. Strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. This was a life that the Apostle Paul really advocated a life of thankfulness. But I think it's because he got it. Because, you know, sometimes, I mean, I'm not taken away from what you've gone through in life at all. But I'm telling you, if we were to, and again, these are our situations, but if we were to compare our situations to these first century Christians who were being dragged out of homes, I mean, killed in front of their children, fed to lions, crucified, boiled in oil, I know we got little ears here. Just some really crazy stuff that went on. And Paul would advocate a life of thankfulness. I'm thinking, I think I've got some stuff to be thankful for. Including voting for someone and they lose. I'm thankful that I can do that, right? I mean, think about this. We've got to put things in perspective, but we can't do that unless our perspective is God's perspective. Unless our perspective is kingdom perspective. But look what he says. You're rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith as you were taught, and overflowing with thankfulness. See, the more that you realize how good God is, you realize, the more you realize who you are and who he's made you to be and the fact that he placed you there and he even gives you the gift of faith to believe the truth about yourself, guess what comes out of that? Thankfulness. There's no other way to put it. It's like, this is amazing. One preacher says, life really, if you get it, if you understand his grace and goodness and his love and your position in life, life is just full of a lot of wows and thank yous. Wow, thank you. Wow, thank you. It's like Christmas morning every day because you're discovering something new about who God made you to be. 
See, we are built up and established by God through Christ. We're not torn down. Sure, suffering happens. Bad circumstances happen, right? We've all experienced this in the last several months. But here's the thing. Do we grow from these situations? Yes, we should. And why? Well, as believers, awaiting to the truth that Christ is in you. And he's building you up with the truth through those situations. Because even the scriptures tell us that Jesus is the author and the perfecter of our faith. Amen? He's not the author of suffering. So let's sum it up with this. God is not breaking us down. He is building us up. So don't continue to reject yourself when the God of the universe has accepted you. I think he knows better than we do about ourselves. How about you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have on these Sunday mornings to be together, whether physically or online. I pray that anything I said today, that it was said with clarity, that there, there was understanding there. And if anyone has an issue, we can talk about these things. But the bottom line is I want us to see ourselves as God sees us. I don't want us to believe a falsehood about who we are and whose we are. I don't want us to believe that somehow our actions will remove us from relationship with you. Now, there are times where those actions bring a guilt and shame that we take on, that we separate ourselves from God, just like Adam and Eve did. We run away, we hide. But even in that story, we can see that God, even in the midst of the sin, came to them, offered the first sacrifice, and used the the animal skins to cover their shame, to say, let me remind you, I'm okay with you. My thoughts of you haven't changed. Your thoughts about me and how the world works have changed. And for generation upon generation upon generation, we've seen this come to fruition in the lives of people and people groups and empires. But I pray, Heavenly Father, that we're beginning to see this truth of who we are and whose we are. It will change everything. The issues that we see in the world, unfortunately, cannot be changed by political systems. It's changed by one system, the kingdom of God. Holy Spirit, help us to awaken to this. There's only one Savior, Jesus Christ. And he demonstrated your heart. He demonstrated the kingdom. And I pray that as we awaken to who we are, we would begin to demonstrate the same love, grace, acceptance, and then we will see change like we've never seen before in this world. We thank you for these things. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. For more information about Faith City Church, please go to faithcity.tv. As always, We pray that you would grow in the knowledge and grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.